Chapter Thirty of Elsie Venner. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Dion Johns, Salt Lake City, Utah. Elsie Venner by Oliver Wendell Holmes. Chapter Thirty: The Golden Cord Is Loosed. The Reverend Chauncey Fairweather hearing that his parishioner's daughter elsie was very ill could do nothing less than come to the mansion house and tender such consolations as he was master of it was rather remarkable that the old doctor did not exactly approve of his visit he thought that company of every sort might be injurious in her weak state he was of opinion that mr fairweather though greatly interested in religious matters was not the most sympathetic person that could be found in fact the old doctor thought he was too much taken up with his own interests for eternity to give him quite so heartily to the need of other people as some persons got up on a rather more generous scale our good neighbor dr honeywood for instance could do however all these things had better be arranged to suit her wants if she would like to talk with a clergyman she had a great deal better see one as often as she liked and run the risk of excitement than have a hidden wish for such a visit and perhaps find herself too weak to see him by and by the old doctor knew by sad experience that dreadful mistake against which all medical practitioners should be warned his experience may well be a guide for others do not overlook the desire for spiritual advice and consolation which patients sometimes feel and with the frightful mauvais haunté peculiar to protestantism alone among all human beliefs are ashamed to tell as a part of medical treatment it is the physician's business to detect the hidden longing for the food of the soul as much as for any form of bodily nourishment especially in the higher walks of society where this unutterably miserable false shame of protestantism acts in proportion to the general acuteness of the cultivated sensibilities let no unwillingness to suggest the sick person's real need suffer him to languish between his want and his morbid sensitivities what an infinite advantage the mussulmans and the catholics have over many of our more exclusively spiritual sects in the way they keep their religion always by them and never blush for it and besides this spiritual longing we should never forget that on some fond breast the parting soul relies and the minister of religion in addition to the sympathetic nature which we have a right to demand in him has trained himself to the art of entering into the feelings of others the reader must pardon this digression which introduces the visit of the rev chauncey fairweather to elsie venner it was mentioned to her that he would like to call and see how she was and she consented not with much apparent interest for she had reasons of her own 
for not feeling any very deep conviction of his sympathy for persons in sorrow but he came and worked the conversation round to religion and confused her with his hybrid notions half made up of what he had been believing and teaching all his life and half of the new doctrines which he had veneered upon the surface of his old belief he got so far as to make a prayer with her a cool well-guarded prayer which compromised his faith as little as possible and which if devotion were a game played against providence might have been considered a cautious and sagacious move when he had gone elsie called old sophy to her sophy she said don't let them send that cold-hearted man to me any more if your old minister comes to see you i should like to hear him talk he looks as if he cared for everybody and would care for me and sophy if i should die one of these days i should like to have that old minister come and say whatever is to be said over me it would comfort dudley more i know than to have that hard man here when you're in trouble for some of you will be sorry when i'm gone won't you sophy the poor old black woman could not stand this question the cold minister had frozen elsie until she felt as if nobody cared for her or would regret her and her question had betrayed this momentary feeling don't talk so don't talk so darlin she cried passionately when you go old sophie'll go and where you go old sophie'll go and we'll both go to the place where the lord takes care of all his children whether their faces are white or black oh darlin darlin if the lord should let me die first you shall find all ready for you when you come after me only don't go and leave poor old sophie all alone in the world helen came in at this moment and quieted the old woman with a look such scenes were just what were most dangerous in the state in which elsie was lying but that is one of the ways in which an affectionate friend sometimes unconsciously wears out the life which a hired nurse thinking of nothing but her regular duties and her wages would have spared from all emotional fatigue the change which had come over elsie's disposition was itself the cause of new excitements how was it possible that her father could keep away from her now that she was coming back to the nature and the very look of her mother the bride of his youth how was it possible to refuse her when she said to old sophie that she would like to have her minister come in and sit by her even though his presence might perhaps prove a new source of excitement but the reverend doctor did come and sit by her and spoke such soothing words to her words of such peace and consolation that from that hour she was tranquil as never before all true hearts are alike in the hour of need the catholic has a reserved fund of faith for his fellow-creatures trying moment and the calvinist reveals those springs of human brotherhood and charity in his soul which are only covered over by the iron tables inscribed with the harder dogmas of his creed 
It was enough that the Reverend Doctor knew all Elsie's history. He could not judge her by any formula, like those which have been molded by past ages out of their ignorance. He did not talk with her as if she were an outside sinner worse than himself. He found a bruised and languishing soul, and bound up its wounds. A blessed office, one which is confined to no sect or creed, but which good men in all times, under various names and with varying ministries, to suit the need of each age, of each race, of each individual soul, have come forward to discharge for their suffering fellow-creatures. After this there was little change in Elsie, except that her heart beat more feebly every day, so that the old doctor himself, with all his experience, could see nothing to account for the gradual failing of the powers of life, and yet could find no remedy which seemed to arrest its progress in the smallest degree. Be very careful, he said, that she is not allowed to make any muscular exertion. Any such effort, when a person is so enfeebled, may stop the heart in a moment, and if it stops, it will never move again. Helen enforced this rule with the greatest care. Elsie was hardly allowed to move her hand or to speak above a whisper. It seemed to be mainly the question now whether this trembling flame of life would be blown out by some light breath of air, or whether it could be so nursed and sheltered by the hollow of these watchful hands that it would have a chance to kindle to its natural brightness. Her father came in to sit with her in the evening. He had never talked so freely with her as during the hour he had passed at her bedside telling her little circumstances of her mother's life, living over with her all that was pleasant in the past, and trying to encourage her with some cheerful gleams of hope for the future. A faint smile played over her face, but she did not answer his encouraging suggestions. The hour came for him to leave her with those who watched by her. "'Good night, my dear child,' he said, and stooping down kissed her cheek. Ellie rose by a sudden effort, threw her arms round his neck, kissed him, and said, "'Good night, my dear father.' The suddenness of her movement had taken him by surprise, or he would have checked so dangerous an effort. It was too late now. Her arms slid away from him like lifeless weights. Her head fell back upon her pillow. A long sigh breathed through her lips. "'She is faint,' said Helen, doubtfully. "'Bring me the heartshorn, Sophie.' The old woman had started from her place and was now leaning over her, looking in her face and listening for the sound of her breathing. "'She's dead! Elsie's dead! My darling's dead!' she cried aloud, filling the room with her utterance of anguish. Dudley Venner drew her away and silenced her with a voice of authority, while Helen and an assistant plied their restoratives. It was all in vain. The solemn tidings passed from the chamber of death through the family. The daughter, the hope of that old and honored house, was dead in the freshness of her youth, and the home of its solitary representative 
was hereafter doubly desolate a messenger rode hastily out of the avenue a little after this the people of the village and the outlying farmhouses were startled by the sound of a bell one two three four they stopped in every house as far as the wavering vibrations reached and listened five six seven it was not the little child which had been lying so long at the point of death that could not be more than three or four years old eight nine ten and so on to fifteen sixteen seventeen eighteen the pulsations seemed to keep on but it was the brain and not the bell that was throbbing now elsie's dead was the exclamation at a hundred firesides eighteen-year-old said old widow peak rising from her chair eighteen year ago i laid two gold eagles on her mother's eyes he wouldn't have anything but gold touch her eyelids and now elsie's to be straightened the lord have mercy on her poor sinful soul dudley venner prayed that night that he might be forgiven if he had failed in any act of duty or kindness to this unfortunate child of his now freed from all the woes born with her and so long poisoning her soul he thanked god for the brief interval of peace which had been granted her for the sweet communion they had enjoyed in these last days and for the hope of meeting her with that other lost friend in a better world helen mingled a few broken thanks and petitions with her tears thanks that she had been permitted to share the last days and hours of this poor sister in sorrow petitions that the grief of bereavement might be lightened to the lonely parent and the faithful old servant old sophie said almost nothing but sat day and night by her dead darling but sometimes her anguish would find an outlet in strange sounds something between a cry and a musical note such as no one had ever heard her utter before these were old remembrances surging up from her childish days coming through her mother from the cannibal chief her grandfather death wails such as they sing in the mountains of western africa when they see the fires on distant hillsides and know that their own wives and children are undergoing the fate of captives the time came when elsie was to be laid by her mother in the small square marked by the white stone it was not unwillingly that the rev chauncey fairweather had relinquished the duty of conducting the service to the rev dr honeywood in accordance with elsie's request he could not by any reasoning reconcile his present way of thinking with a hope for the future of his unfortunate parishioner any good old roman catholic priest born and bred to his faith and his business would have found a loophole into some kind of heaven for her by virtue of his doctrine of invincible ignorance or other special proviso but a recent convert cannot enter into the working conditions of his new creed beliefs must be lived in for a good while before they accommodate themselves to the soul's wants and wear loose enough to be comfortable the reverend doctor had no such scruples 
like thousands of those who are classed nominally with the despairing believers he had never prayed over a departed brother or sister without feeling and expressing a guarded hope that there was mercy in store for the poor sinner whom parents wives children brothers and sisters could not bear to give up to utter ruin without a word and would not as he knew full well in virtue of that human love and sympathy which nothing can ever extinguish and in this poor elsie's history he could read nothing which the tears of the recording angel might not wash away as the good physician of the place knew the diseases that assailed the bodies of men and women so he had learned the mysteries of the sickness of the soul so many wished to look upon elsie's face once more that her father would not deny them nay he was pleased that those who remembered her living should see her in the still beauty of death helen and those with her arrayed her for this farewell view all was ready for the sad or curious eyes which were to look upon her there was no painful change to be concealed by any artifice even her round neck was left uncovered that she might be more like one who slept only the golden cord was left in its place some searching eye might detect a trace of that birthmark which it was whispered she had always worn a necklace to conceal at the last moment when all the preparations were completed old sophie stooped over her and with trembling hand loosed the golden cord she looked intently for some little space there was no shade nor blemish where the ring of gold had encircled her throat she took it gently away and laid it in the casket which held her ornaments the lord be praised the old woman cried aloud he has taken away the mark that was on her she's fit to meet his holy angels now so elsie lay for hours in the great room in a kind of state with flowers all about her her black hair braided as in life her brows smooth as if they had never known the scowl of passion and on her lips the faint smile with which she had uttered her last good-night the young girls from the school looked at her one after another and passed on sobbing carrying in their hearts the picture that would be with them all their days the great people of the place were all there with their silent sympathy the lesser kind of gentry and many of the plainer folk of the village have pleased to find themselves passing beneath the stately portico of the ancient mansion-house crowded in until the ample rooms were overflowing all the friends whose acquaintance we have made were there and many from remoter villages and towns there was a deep silence at last the hour had come for the parting words to be spoken over the dead the good old minister's voice rose out of the stillness subdued and tremulous at first but growing firmer and clearer as he went on until it reached the ears of the visitors who were in the far desolate chambers looking at the pictured hangings and the old dusty portraits he did not tell her story in his prayer he only spoke of our dear departed sister as one of many whom providence in its wisdom has seen fit to bring under bondage from their cradles 
it was not for us to judge them by any standard of our own he who made the heart alone knew the infirmities it inherited or acquired for all that our dear sister had presented that was interesting and attractive in her character we were to be grateful for whatever was dark or inexplicable we must trust that the deep shadow which rested on the twilight dawn of her being might render a reason before the bar of omniscience for the grace which had lightened her last days we should pour out our hearts in thankful acknowledgment from the life and the death of this our dear sister we should learn a lesson of patience with our fellow-creatures in their inborn peculiarities of charity in judging what seemed to us willful faults of character of hope and trust that by sickness or affliction or such inevitable discipline as life must always bring with it if by no gentler means the soul which had been left by nature to wander into the path of error and of suffering might be reclaimed and restored to its true aim and so led on by divine grace to its eternal welfare he closed his prayer by commending each member of the afflicted family to the divine blessing then all at once rose the clear sound of the girls voices in the sweet sad melody of a funeral hymn one of those which elsie had marked as if prophetically among her own favorites and so they laid her in the earth and showered down flowers upon her and filled her grave and covered it with green sods by the side of it was another oblong ridge with a white stone standing at its head mr bernard looked upon it as he came close to the place where elsie was laid and read the inscription catalina wife to dudley venner died october thirteenth eighteen forty aged twenty years a gentle rain fell on the turf after it was laid this was the beginning of a long and dreary autumnal storm a deferred equinoctial as many considered it the mountain streams were all swollen and turbulent and the steep declivities were furrowed in every direction by new channels it made the house seem doubly desolate to hear the wind howling and the rain beating upon the roofs the poor relation who was staying at the house would insist on helen's remaining a few days old sophie was in such a condition that it kept her in continual anxiety and there were many cares which helen could take off from her the old black woman's life was buried in her darling's grave she did nothing but moan and lament for her at night she was restless and would get up and wander to elsie's apartment and look for her and call her by name at other times she would lie awake and listen to the wind and the rain sometimes with such a wild look upon her face and with such sudden starts and exclamations that it seemed as if she heard spirit voices and were answering the whispers of unseen visitants with all this were mingled hints of her old superstition forebodings of something fearful about to happen perhaps the great final catastrophe of all things according to the prediction current in the kitchens of rockland hark old sophie would say 
don't you hear the crackin' and the snappin' up in the mountain and the rollin' of the big stones? There's something stirrin' among the rocks. I hear the sound of it in the night when the wind has stopped blowin'. Oh, stay by me a little while, Miss Darlin'. Stay by me, for it's the last day, maybe, that's close on us, and I feel as if I couldn't meet the Lord all alone. It was curious, but Helen did certainly recognize sounds during the lull of the storm, which were not of falling rain or running streams, short snapping sounds as of tense cords breaking, long uneven sounds as of masses rolling down steep declivities. But the morning came as usual, and as the others said nothing of these singular noises, Helen did not think it necessary to speak of them. All day long she and the humble relative of Elsie's mother, who had appeared as poor relations, are wont to do in the great prizes of life, were busy in arranging the disordered house and looking over the various objects which Elsie's singular tastes had brought together, to dispose of them as her father might direct. They all met together at the usual hour for tea. One of the servants came in looking very blank and said to the poor relation, "'The well is gone dry, and we have nothing but rain-water.' Dudley Venner's countenance changed. He sprang to his feet, and went to assure himself of the fact, and, if he could, of the reason of it, for a well to dry up during such a rainstorm was extraordinary. It was ominous. He came back looking very anxious.' did any of you notice any remarkable sounds last night he said or this morning hark do you hear anything now they listened in perfect silence for a few moments then there came a short cracking sound and two or three snaps as of parting cords dudley venner called all his household together we are in danger here as i think to-night he said not very great danger perhaps but it is a risk I do not wish you to run. These heavy rains have loosed some of the rocks above, and they may come down and endanger the house. Harness the horses, Elbridge, and take all the family away. Miss Darley will go to the Institute. The others will pass the night at the mountain house. I shall stay here myself. It is not at all likely that anything will come of these warnings, but if there should, I choose to be there and take my chance. It needs little, generally, to frighten servants, and they were all ready enough to go. The poor relation was one of the timid sort, and was terribly uneasy to be got out of the house. This left no alternative, of course, for Helen, but to go also. They all urged upon Dudley Venner to go with them. If there was danger, why should he remain to risk it when he sent away the others? old sophie said nothing until the time came for her to go with the second of elbridge's carriage loads come sophie said dudley venner get your things and go they will take good care of you at the mountain house and when we have made sure that there is no real danger you shall come back at once no massa sophie answered i've seen elsie into the ground and i ain't goin' away to come back and find Massa Venner buried under the rocks. My darlin's gone, and now if Massa goes, and the place goes, it's time for old Sophie to go too. No, Massa Venner, we'll both stay in the mansion and wait for the Lord. 
Nothing could change the old woman's determination, and her master, who only feared but did not really expect the long-deferred catastrophe, was obliged to consent to her staying. The sudden drying of the well at such a time was the most alarming sign, for he remembered that the same thing had been observed just before great mountain slides. This long rain, too, was just the kind of cause which was likely to loosen the strata of rock piled up in the ledges. If the dreaded event should ever come to pass, it would be at such a time. He paced his chamber uneasily until long past midnight. If the morning came without accident, he meant to have a careful examination made of all the rents and fissures above, of their direction and extent, and especially whether, in case of a mountain slide, the huge masses would be like to reach so far to the east and so low down the declivity as the mansion. At two o'clock in the morning he was dozing in his chair. Old Sophie had laid down on her bed and was muttering in troubled dreams. All at once a loud crash seemed to rend the very heavens above them, a crack as of the thunder that follows close upon the bolt, a rending and crashing as of a forest snapped through all its stems, torn, twisted, splintered, dragged with all its ragged boughs into one chaotic ruin the ground trembled under them as in an earthquake the old mansion shuddered so that all its windows clattered in their casements the great chimney shook off its heavy capstones which came down on the roof with resounding concussions and the echoes of the mountain roared and bellowed in long reduplication as if its whole foundations were rent and this were the terrible voice of its dissolution dudley venner rose from his chair folded his arms and awaited his fate there was no knowing where to look for safety and he remembered too well the story of the family that was lost by rushing out of the house and so hurrying into the very jaws of death he had stood thus but for a moment when he heard the voice of old sophie in a wild cry of terror it's the last day it's the last day the lord is comin to take us all sophie he called but she did not hear him or heed him and rushed out of the house the worst danger was over if they were to be destroyed it would necessarily be in a few seconds from the first thrill of the terrible convulsion he waited in awful suspense but calm no more than one or two minutes could have passed before the frightful tumult and all its sounding echoes had ceased he called old sophie but she did not answer he went to the western window and looked forth into the darkness he could not distinguish the outlines of the landscape but the white stone was clearly visible and by its side the new-made mound nay what was that which obscured its outline in shape like a human figure he flung open the window and sprang through it was all that there was left of poor old sophie stretched out lifeless upon her darling's grave he had scarcely composed her limbs and drawn the sheet over her when the neighbors began to arrive from all directions each was expecting to hear of houses overwhelmed and families destroyed but each came with the story that his own household was safe 
it was not until the morning dawned that the true nature and extent of the sudden movement was ascertained a great seam had opened above the long cliff and the terrible rattlesnake ledge with all its envenomed reptiles its dark fissures and black caverns was buried forever beneath a mighty incumbent mass of ruin End of chapter thirty